0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I want to look at Matthew chapter 11 this morning. Matthew chapter 11. This is one of my favorite verses because it's funny. Every verse is my favorite verse, you know. But Jesus is inviting us to a lifestyle, a way that we can live in him. And it's beautiful. And he says this, starting in verse 28, he says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? How many could just admit, don't don't have to raise your hand, but you've been burned out at times in your life when it comes to this religious thing. And sometimes you felt like you were just going through the motions. You know, Jesus didn't come to give us more religion. I want to talk about this idea today. I want to talk about sin. Say sin. You know, there's a lot of times I was just tired. In fact, I was tired of giving in to the things that I really didn't want to do anyway. I was also tired of the method implemented to try and stop to do the things that I really didn't want to do. But Jesus invited me to a new way of life here. You know, sin is one of those words that has become, you know, like we, we teach so much about sin that all we are is sin conscious. But I want to talk about sin because with our Soul Detox series and even Circular in January, it it stirs up some ideas about, okay, well, I understand that, that God wants to heal my soul and those recesses, maybe show me some things I haven't seen before, those trigger points that make me go off or respond in that way. I don't like that about myself. But why is it sometimes that I have these triggers, maybe certain sins in my life that seem to keep pulling me back? Do you know that Jesus wants to give us freedom from sin? He wants us to experience freedom from sin. And sometimes when a church preaches maybe a little too heavy, people would say on the grace idea, we hear it like this, freedom to sin. But the truth is it's freedom from sin. And this is what Jesus came to give us. So he says, are you tired out? Are Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Look at the answer. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Recover what life? The life he has always intended for you to live. This is a life he's always intended for us to live, but we were blinded. We had a veil over us, you know. We were enemies of God in our what? Mind. Minds. God was never our enemy. He was always in head over heels love with us and pursued mankind not to give him a whipping but to say I love you can we have relationship that's what he was trying to do through Israel through the Jews he invited them to Mount Sinai and said let's cut covenant together and because of their slave mentality for 400 years they said whoa this is freaking us out that's a little too much freedom Moses you can deal with him And so God acquiesced like he always does. You know, God has such broad shoulders that we can even say things about him that are completely wrong and he'll go, that's fine, you can believe that as long as I can still have a relationship with you. He'll let you believe whatever you need to believe to keep relationship with him. But see, we go through history and then we come to Jesus. And what did John say? He says, no one has ever seen God except Jesus who is close to his heart. He has explained him. To us, And then we look at how Jesus walked and he talked full of healing and restoration and love. And we're like, wait a minute. So that's what God's like. Yep. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time that God hasn't been like Jesus. We just didn't know it yet. But now we do. And so we see through that lens of Jesus, and it changes everything. So he says, get away with me, and you'll recover life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. How many say, give me that rest, Lord? Amen. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Look at this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. This is beautiful to me. When I came to a point in my life where I could recognize the unforced rhythms of grace, where I could learn the unforced rhythms of grace, I realized something. This is easier than I thought it'd be. Let me say something. It should never feel forced. If this life in Christ feels forced, it's not grace. (laughs) You hear me? It's kind of quiet in here today. All the ameners are at the expo this morning. But he wants us to live this way, where we walk with him, we work with him, we watch how he does it. Do you notice he never leaves us? No matter how disgusting we think we may be, he promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. He says this, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live, now get this, freely and lightly. I'm telling you what, all around the world on Sunday morning, we can get a lot of messages that don't feel very free and light. I want it light. Let's go with Jesus light, God light. But I want it freely and lightly. Not so I can just, oh, I can do anything, nothing matters. No, so I can realize I don't have to do all this. He's already done it. Now I get to step into that finished work. And now he lives his life through me and it becomes easy and light. It doesn't mean it's not uncomfortable at times. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I love what Bishop said about this. But then it says in Revelation, when it goes down in the inner parts, it becomes bitter. Why? Because it starts to go to war with those ideas we had about ourselves. Those ideas that we had about God. We're like, "Ooh, man, this is uncomfortable. What do you mean God really loves me all the time? I don't know about that because you don't know what I was looking at on the internet yesterday. You don't know how I responded to my wife or kids. Uh, you don't know how I think and what I do when I'm not at church. And God's saying, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Let's go to war against those lies that you believe about me and about yourself. Isn't it awesome? And so it's not always comfortable, but it's beautiful if we let him take us through that process. And why does he do that? Because he loves us. How many parents do we have here today? You know, there are times that we just want to punish our kids because they've embarrassed us or just get it together. But I'm learning more and more to be a father like my heavenly father who loves my children through situations and circumstances, why? Because at the end, I want them to see truth. Because there's consequences to their actions, and sin has consequences. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You notice that it's sin that pays sin; it's not God. A lot of times, we go, "Look what God did to them. They must be in sin." Shut your mouth! Come on, that's not a good father. I don't burn my kids. I don't hurt my kids to teach them lessons. But I hate it when their actions cause pain in their life. You want to see the wrath of God? It's against sin. It's against evil because of what it does to us. And he's here always trying to show us truth about ourselves, always trying to show us truth about him. Why? So we can see things for how they really are and then go, I'm choosing to go a different way today because I don't want to experience those consequences in my life. But even when we mess up, when we screw up, and we're going through those consequences, guess who's still there with us? Jesus. The Holy Spirit won't leave us. Isn't that beautiful? So it's important that we have our foundation in his love towards us. Because what happens is then we begin to trust. Say that word trust, trust. That's faith. We trust in him, which leads us to listen to him and walk according to the spirit. You know, even in our own lives, if our children trust us, I've done this a lot lately, especially with my youngest one, I'll get down to his level and say, do you trust me? Do you trust your dad right now? Yeah, I trust you. Okay, that's why I'm asking you to do this. Because the consequences of going the other way is going to hurt you. Do you trust me? Yeah, why? Because you love me. That's how God deals with us. It's a beautiful thing when we can understand how that works. And this is where we learn to live freely and lightly. Our life becomes a will you trust me life. This is what he asks us all the time. Will you trust me? So let's look at that today. Experiencing freedom. sin. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for an opportunity where we can look into your word. We thank you, first of all, that the word of God is Jesus Christ himself. And it's through that lens that we see things. And even scripture, whether we're walking through the Old Testament, let's make sure Jesus is with us so we can understand and comprehend things correctly. If we're looking at the epistles and the letters of the apostles, if we're looking at the gospels, we need to always look through you as our lens for proper understanding. We thank you that you came to show us the heart of the Father, and I pray today that we would see that heart of love towards us as we look into the scriptures. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. When I was about eight or nine years old, I found this, this little tool. It was called a magnifying glass. It was my parents' magnifying glass, and when I first got I'm like, whoa, this is cool, and I would bring it out, and I would look at stuff, and it was really big. And I was eight or nine, so I didn't really need it. Now magnifying glasses are pretty cool, right? like reading glasses. You hit 40, 41, 42. It's like, I I rebuke this in Jesus name. What's going on with my eyesight? I remember the first time my wife's like, I'm trying to look at stuff. She's like, babe, just put on my my glasses, reading glasses. I'm like, whatever. And I put them on, I was like, Mom, it's like HD. I couldn't even believe it. But you know, a magnifying glass can be used like this too, but there's something else you can do with a magnifying glass. As an eight or nine-year-old boy, it was amazing to me what would transpire when you would take a, a magnifying glass outside and you would allow rays of sunlight to go through them. You ever done this? Are there any kids in here? I don't want to teach them any bad habits. But you know, have you ever done that with with the magnifying glass? You can actually beam that light, and you can get it so intense that it actually will burn through stuff. By experience leaves, dry leaves, paper, I would take pieces of bark and I would like put my name in them and stuff. That was really dumb because I just said I was the one who did that, right? Andy was here. Another thing I would do with the magnifying glass, and I know this sounds horrible, but man, have you ever seen an ant writhe around in pain? (laughs) Isn't that horrible? God's little creatures, they're probably, like I probably have wanted posters in little ant homes, you know, watch out for this ant bully. I was the first ant bully, by the way. Actually, this is funny with my friends. If they were sitting there, you know, and it's the middle of summer, and they just had this patch of neck showing, it's amazing what you could do if you would just bring the magnifying glass up and just get it more and more intense. No, I'm serious. They'd be like, "Oh," they thought they got stung or something, or do it on their arm. Boys are ridiculous, I know. But I used to burn stuff with magnifying glass. I, I thought that's what. Oh, Aiden's up here. You cannot do this, young man. His eyes are this big. He's like, "What? Burn stuff?" I'm gonna watch you closer. Gotta watch it closer, but I used to love this magnifying glass because for me it became this instrument of intense heat. I, I could I could burn ants, I could burn my friends because that's what we do to the people we love. Uh, just burn them, and I would burn things and I would catch things on fire. And I told you about my pyro days. It's over now, praise God. But you know I wasn't using the magnifying glass correctly, was I? A magnifying glass is used to magnify things to to make them bigger. It wasn't something that I should burn things with. It's used to magnify an object so we can see it better and we can see it clear. So many times you've heard that Jesus is our lens for everything, which we say all the time, but what we do is we turn Jesus around and we burn people with them. We're like, yeah, yeah, I believe in the lens of Jesus, absolutely burn, sucker. Turn or burn, Right, Just like those ants, like we're trying to burn people. The thing is, the, the magnifying glass should be turned the other way so now we can use Jesus as a lens to see our life, to see the Heavenly Father, to see ourselves, to see Scripture through. It's not to burn people. It's not this intense fire so we can burn people. So whether we're reading scripture, you know how we see others, how we see the heavenly father, it really matters according to the magnifying glass that we're using. But like I said, sometimes we've misused this lens called Jesus and we've turned it against others. We've turned it against ourselves. How many have done that? See, not everybody points their fingers at others. A lot of times we point our fingers at ourselves. And this is where this whole idea comes in when we talk about sin. The the lens should be turned around the other way toward the Heavenly Father to see him for who he really is. And let me say this, we need to turn that lens around, Christ in you, the hope of glory, to see this is who I really am. Because if you're sitting here today and you feel like you're not worthy, you feel like you're not good enough, like you could never measure up, the Heavenly Father is saying something completely different about you. He's saying you are worthy. We're in right relationship. My spirit lives in you. And this is the beauty of it. Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's no more worry about, Holy Spirit, please be here. I beg of you. He's like, knock, knock, knock. I'm right here. Awaken to who you are and who I am in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? Amen. And so we need to see his kindness. We need to see his goodness. It says that the kindness of the Lord draws us to repentance. What is repentance? It's changing our mind, mentanoia. It's changing our mind about who God is. All through the scriptures, I mean, they were preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. They're saying, change your mind about God. This was a message that was preached to Jews because they had a completely different idea of God. They didn't understand him for who he really was. A father, come on. Surely you blaspheme the Father? And so they didn't see him correctly. So Jesus is that lens that we need to look through correctly. So, what are we magnifying in our lives? I think this is a question we need to ask ourselves today. What are we magnifying in our lives? You know, we sing songs about magnifying the Lord, but then we, we tend to walk away and we forget. We turn the magnifying glass around on ourselves, on our missteps, on our shortcomings, on our sin. I remember in youth group, it's interesting to me, it wasn't until years later I realized this, and these were all great youth pastors with good intentions, but this is how we usually sell this idea of sin in youth group, and even in church, there's sin over there, oh it looks so good, doesn't it, man it's so satisfying, it's so fulfilling, but, but just say no, but I know, you're really going to want to do this, it, it's so good, but, but just say no, Just say no. You just told me how good it is and how much I... You shouldn't do that because you're really... But sin is pleasurable for a season. I just think, well, it's pleasurable for a season. I'll take a season of pleasure. (laughs) But what about the other side of it? Where we say, God is so amazing. He's head over heels in love with you. It's so good that when you understand the relationship that you can have with him, that he's right there, he's willing, he's ready, and he's able... All the other things, it just diminishes. It doesn't even matter. In fact, you can see through it and go, wow, there's consequences of that. Why would I do that anyway? God is so good. He's so in love with me. Even on my worst day, He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He tastes sweet. He's so good. Isn't that a better way to present it? Then sin is so good. Just say no. So it's not just saying no to sin man, I I did that for years, just say no, Mm, you're trying so hard to say no, but you have the very power within you to say no with power, with authority, with his ability, and yet we try to do it on our own. See, religion says this, it says we need to focus on overcoming our sins, and I'll admit I preach messages like this, come on, man, I mean, if you just love God a little bit more than the sin, that's the goal. So focus on that sin. How much do you love that sin? I love it a lot. That's why I'm doing it. Well, just try to love God a little more. What does that even mean? You know, 1 John 4.19 tells us that we love because he loved us first. He initiates, we respond. Our response to to him and to sin and to others is based on the love level that we have with him. And it's, it's interesting that perfected love casts out fear. The word perfected or perfect means mature, mature in that love, that relationship that you have with him. When you become mature in that relationship or you're maturing in it, it's so much easier to say no to things because I love what Pete said one day. He says, you know, we look over the fence and we think that the grass is greener on the other side. But the truth is, it's just astroturf. It looks really good, but it's fake. It looks really tantalizing, and it looks like we could just lay around in it and it'd be wonderful, but it's fake. It's not real. And so what happens is as the Holy Spirit starts to show those areas in your, in your soul, those recesses where maybe you have some baggage, you have some toxins or toxicity, we start to realize that there's just some trigger points there. And then he's able to show us truth about ourselves, which we replace those lies with truth. We disconnect those emotions or those emotional tendencies we had to those lies. And all of a sudden, we can breathe. And those temptations aren't so tempting anymore because he is so good, amen? Have you ever thought, man, I wish there was just a magical switch or a potion or something I could just turn it off? Pete and I used to talk about this. We're like, dude, wouldn't it be cool if you could just hit a switch in a certain area where you no longer were tempted by that thing? But the truth is there's not really a soul switch. We can't find that switch. But what if it wasn't something, talking about sin, what if it wasn't something that we had to conquer What if sin was already defeated? Hmm, say hmm. What if sin was already defeated? Jesus declared the powerful words on the cross, it is finished. You familiar with these words? He says it is finished. He declared these words on the cross and then he rose again three days later as the victor over death, sin, and Satan. Do you realize the enemy's already been defeated? Sometimes we walk around like he isn't, but he's been defeated. He has no access to you or your life, your spirit, only through the mind by deceiving you, by tempting you, by saying something that's opposite of the truth, but maybe salting it with a little bit of truth so you tend to believe it. So, what do you believe about yourself? See, I've heard people say, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. Well, how about you're a saint? It's interesting that the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians who were a jacked up bunch, y'all. These people were like, they were doing stuff that even the heathens wouldn't even think of doing. And Paul, all through the, the letters to them, calls them saints. It's like, Paul, did you not get the memo? Did you not see what's going on? These people are jacked up, man. But he was calling them who they really were so they could see who they really were and then in turn act out who they really are. Does that make sense? And at that point, it's not like we're acting and pretending. It's just put into action who you are. If you just talk with followers of Jesus or people who say I'm a Christian, you'll soon realize that many haven't learned how to live the freely and lightly life. In fact, they even try to put burden and heaviness on you. Brother, you're not working hard enough. You're not doing enough for God. And I found that his love is what causes me and motivates me to do more for the kingdom. And now you can't shut me up. You can't stop me because my daddy's got my back. And he loves me so much that there's no other way to live except to live the kingdom way. And if we could get to that point, we could actually start to change this world. But you have to change your mentality. If you think it's all going to burn, Who cares? Then you're like, I don't care about anything, and who cares about people? And I mean, if we're not careful, we get this idea that nothing matters, the planet doesn't matter, it's all gonna burn up anyway. Really? God gave us the earth, said take dominion, and what we do until then is we continue to expand the kingdom and get it closer to heaven. Who are the only people that can bring heaven to earth? Sons and daughters of God. So when are we gonna start doing that? Amen? Steve McVeigh said this, he says, if we fixate on what we do wrong... And try to figure out how to conquer bad behavior, we will always come up with some sort of plan that involves our own willpower and determination. Have you ever done that before? I have. All right, God, this is it. That's it. We're not, I'm not allowing this in my life anymore. I've got my list, I've got my scriptures, I'm going to do this. And the whole time the Holy Spirit says, How about we can do this? Don't put together a plan. I am the plan. And let me live my life through you. I want to look at a scripture in Colossians. And let's look at chapter 3. Starting with verse 1. He says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ. How many would say, I'm serious. I want to live this. He says, act like it. Now again, this isn't pretending to be. This word act means to take action. So he's saying, listen, Christ already did it all. But we can take action and walk in this. Let's pursue this. He says, Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Now, do you notice that Paul isn't questioning your resurrected life in Christ? Just because you don't act like who you really are doesn't mean you really aren't that person that he's created to be. So he's not questioning this. He's not questioning whether you're in Christ or not. He's simply encouraging us. He's saying, Be who you are, be who you were made to be. It's not a threat, it's a promise. It's a promise of who we really are. He says, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up, say look up, and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. And then he says this, see things from his perspective. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing all the time in this life. He's saying, will you look up and see things from my perspective? Verse three. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, by the way, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. I want you to say these last four words with me. He is your life. Say it again. He is your life. We have to see this, folks. We have to see that Christ is our life. He gave his life for us, so he could give his life to us, so he could live his life through us. And many times we're trying to live life on our own. We come up with, with good intentions, mind you. Good intentions. We come up with a plan. I'm going to defeat this area in my life. I know I can do this. I think I can. I think I can. It's like the little engine that could. And he's saying, but I'm your driving force. I'm the engine that already did and can. Will you allow me to live my life through you? I love this translation in the Mir Bible. He says this, the exact life on exhibit in Christ is now repeated in us. We are being co-revealed in the same bliss. We are joined in oneness with him. Just as his life reveals you, listen to this, your life reveals him. For some of us, that's tough to swallow. As we look at our actions, we, we know our thoughts better than anyone else except for our Heavenly Father. Amen. And so we look at ourselves, we're like, okay, I get it, Christ is in me, but, but I reveal Christ? Absolutely. And he's, he's happy to allow you to do that. His life is a united life with us. We're in union with Christ, but many times we just don't know it. I said it earlier, in him we live and move and have our very being. But we can even turn that around and say, in us, he lives and moves and has his being. Because we're joint. We're together with Christ. So do you see it? He's addressing our perspective. We have to get our perspective right. We have to make sure that we turn that magnifying glass around and see things correctly. He says, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. Absorb what the thing is right in front of you. He's talking about self-inspection. Self-conscious, sin Conscious. I think about this idea. If, if you have kids, have you ever told them, okay, honey, see the cookie on the counter? Don't touch the cookie. That cookie right there, you have the chocolate chip one. You see that? Look really close. See the cookie? Don't touch the cookie. And I don't want you to eat the cookie because we have to have dinner first. But yeah, yeah, the cookie. Look, come here. Look. See the cookie. Don't touch the cookie. Well, what do you think the kid's going to do? You didn't go in later, and there's going to be like crumbs, little bites. And you go, did you eat that? And with chocolate all over their face, you're like, no. why did they eat the cookie? Because you pointed it out. You made them cookie conscious. We do that to ourselves. We make ourselves sin conscious. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't care about things that are destroying and hurting our lives and tearing apart relationships. Of course we should. But focusing on those things as the main thing is not going to change those things in our lives. He's talking about focus. He goes on to say, look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from what? His perspective. In other words, stay Christ-focused. After all, Christ is your life now. The old man is dead. Now you have new life. This truth is paramount to us seeing behavior changes. Your behavior is not gonna change. Let me say this. It won't be lasting change by your own willpower. How many have been there? Man, I've been doing good for two months. Oh, jinx. I shouldn't have said it. Let me start looking for wood to knock on or something. Instead of just realizing you're going to fail at some point doing this on your own. So stop trying to come up with ideas to make it better. Now, I don't have an issue with, well, if I stay away from that person or those things, it will help to not be a temptation. Of course, use wisdom. The Holy Spirit is the one telling you that to use that wisdom. But he's saying, can I live my life through you? Because who you really are, those aren't even the desires that I put in your heart. You don't desire that pornography. You don't desire that wrong relationship. You don't desire violence and retribution. You don't desire to lie and to cheat and to steal. You don't desire to cover up. That's not who you are. That's those old thought patterns. Romans 12, 2, we are transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. We have to get new thoughts. And really the thoughts are this. This is who I really am. I'm righteous, I'm pleasing, I'm acceptable. I have holy desires. I'm set apart. I'm just like him. That's who my dad is. That's why it's important to spend time in prayer, in scripture reading, time with your heavenly father so you can see who you really are. Sometimes we come over here and we say, okay, I gotta get my 15 minutes in and my 10 minutes and do this stuff and it becomes legalism. Legalism doesn't change anything. Legalism makes it worse. When you put law on people, guess what? It excites sin. That's what the Apostle Paul said. There's a new law that we live by. It's called the law of love. It's the law of liberty in Christ Jesus. And so when we start to operate according to that, you're going to see the behaviors change. But if you're trying to change your behavior on your own, with your own willpower, it's really, it's a false victory because eventually it won't pay off. How many know you can only have willpower for so long? Yeah, just say, I'm going to stop eating bread. Yeah, that, I think I did a week on that. But then I was like, raw bread. Why? I did really good for six days. Now I deserve more bread. See, willpower only works for so long. Now, my brother-in-law, Kenny, that dude has willpower in a half. If he wants something, he'll get it. But I'm sure he would even admit to me, there's a point where it only goes for so long. Why? Because we need Christ in us. He's our ability. He's our strength. Amen? Romans 8, 6. The Apostle Paul wrote this, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. He's talking about self focus here. That's what the flesh is it's looking at ourselves. And he said that it results in death. We could really say this trying to overcome sin by focusing on yourself or the sin itself has the exact opposite effect of what we really want in our lives. Did you catch that? Now, I know when I say these things, for some of us, it can, we can kind of go tilt. Like, I thought I was supposed to desire. Yeah, you do desire to walk out righteousness. You do desire to walk out the plan God has for your life and to do things that are righteous and pleasing and holy and acceptable. That is our true desire. But trying to overcome it by focusing on ourself is only going to make it worse. One translation says this, focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed, you see that? Completely absorbed in self ignores God and ends up thinking more about self than God. But here's the truth. Life and peace are the result of focusing on him and seeing things from his perspective. You know, I was in prayer this morning, and I just had this, this side note I want to add in. Refusing forgiveness is a form of pride. And the reason I say this is because for a lot of us, we may think that the Lord has forgiven us, but we haven't forgiven ourselves. Because we seem to keep falling into the same cycle. We fall into the same issues, and it, it just seems to nag at us. And then what happens is we get into condemnation, we start to judge ourselves. It brings shame. And then we turn that the other way and say, then God must feel the same way about me. But I'm telling you right now, refusing forgiveness is a form of pride. You know, there's some folks who only accept it when they deem themselves worthy. The best place that you can accept his forgiveness toward you is when you feel unworthy. Because guess what? At that point, you just go, God, I, ca- I cannot do this on my own. I, ca- I can't live life like this, on my own. I I can't live this life of Christianity on my own. And he says, I know. But let me live it with you. Let me work with you and walk with you, and then you can watch how I do it, and this will bring true and real rest to your soul. We talked about it for a full month. We need rest for our soul, don't we, folks? If you ever get a chance, check out this, this Netflix original. It's called Happy. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Happy. Write it down. If you get nothing else today, go home and watch Netflix. <laughs> it, but it's, it's a, a movie called Happy, and I'll tell you, it will just... In the, it's this whole idea of happiness, and I don't want to you know, tell you the whole thing because I want it to be a surprise, and this won't be a spoiler. But through the course of this, these are people who I don't know what their relationship is with God. But by the end of this, I looked over at Chris and I said, Oh my gosh, these people are talking and living out the kingdom of God, and some don't even realize it. They're realizing that true fulfillment and happiness in life is walking the kingdom way. It's giving to others who are in need. It's not heaping on ourselves. I mean, we have every technology, we have everything at our fingertips, and people are so unhappy. In fact, the only nation that's worse than us is Japan. And they actually have a name for it. I can't remember what the name is, but it's a specific name, which means they're working themselves to death. There's people who are working so hard for the dollar or the yen that they're dying because of it. There's so much stress involved. Packing in the trains to get to work, not seeing family, have no relationship with their spouses and their kids and they're dying early. I'm talking like in their 30s and their 40s. They're dying because they're so stressed out. There's no happiness. But then you look at a family who has next to nothing but they have a roof over the head. They have family. They're close. They have you know food, the essentials. Just the essential things. And there's so much happiness in their life because they've made the main thing, the main thing. And what is it? The kingdom of God. We know it's righteousness, peace, and joy, but it's also this idea of looking outward to others to help others. It's not about ourselves. And there's something they say that even within our brain, that when we give back and we just do an act of kindness or service, it actually reconstructs and changes how our brain functions. This is science telling us this. And I looked over at Kristen and I went, It's almost like Jesus was right. (laughs) Wow. Love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Turn the other cheek. Take care of the widows and the orphans. Jesus, but I thought that was just more law. No, no. This is the way of the kingdom. When we do this, it brings true fulfillment. And then when you start doing these things, you go, I haven't even thought about that temptation. Why? Because you're living the kingdom. And you're so fulfilled. You know, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he was hungry as he's sitting there. But then the disciples came back and he said, hey, we got some food. Are you hungry? He says, "Nope, I've had food that you know not of. What? But why was he so fulfilled? He was doing the work of the kingdom. He was reaching out to others, those who are lost, those who are broken, those who are needy. And that's really what we should be doing. Watch happy. It'll blow your mind. It's awesome. Romans chapter 7, let's turn there. So we can really sum that up as only the humble one can receive and live in the Father's mercy and forgiveness. You know, it takes humility to say, God, I receive the forgiveness you provided for me. I receive your mercy. It's new every morning. Because how many could admit sometimes you don't feel like you deserve it? But, But God doesn't give us forgiveness and mercy because we deserve it. Do you understand? Jesus in his ministry constantly was forgiving people. I'm like, where's the bull? Where's the goat? Where's the blood? You're not on the cross. Why are you forgiving people, Jesus? Because that's what love does. Amen. Romans 7, starting with verse 5, says, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Verse 6, But now, say, but now, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. Why? So that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. 1 Corinthians 15.56 says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Because any approach that we take in overcoming our own sins through self-discipline is legalistic. Because it stirs up within us the false hope that there is something we can do to defeat it. I'm going to defeat this sin. I'm going to watch God. Just sit back and watch. He's like, why am I sitting back? I'm with you. No, sit back. Watch this. This is really cool. Look, no hands. Crash. (laughs) Here's the truth. We don't have to conquer our sins. Jesus Christ already defeated sin at the cross. And through the resurrection, it is his finished work. And this is the beauty of it. We, we get to trust and rely on him. And for some of us, like, I don't know how to work all that out. I can't tell you how to work that out. I really believe that the Holy Spirit is big enough and gentle enough to show you in your life which way you have to go. Man, it could be so easy for us to point our fingers at others. But do we really trust the Holy Spirit? It's grace, the spirit of grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's not your pastor, right? Right? If I see something in your life and I have a a heart-to-heart relationship with you, I'm going to say, hey, bro, this is going to mess you up, man. And I say this because I love you. But when you go to people that you don't even know and start putting your fingers in their face, they're not going to listen to you. They're going to close up. And that's where we have to pray, Lord, I I see this in their life, and, and I don't want this to destroy their marriage or their relationship with their kids. or I don't want them to lose their job. I don't want them to end up dying early. Pray for them. Love on them. But believe that the Holy Spirit is big enough to work in people's lives. Listen, my job is not to manage your sin. I refuse to do it. But I will pray for you that the Holy Spirit is showing you those areas in their life that are bringing death to your life, death to relationships, death to the things that you have desire, the dreams that you have in your heart. I pray that you would see those things, not so you'd be shamed and feel like you're in judgment, but so you could go, wow, I'm believing lies about myself. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you're showing the truth of who I really am. And then freedom will start to work its way out. We're told to work out our salvation. He's already worked everything in. He's saying, but will you work that salvation out? Amen? This is a bold statement, but when we try to do what Jesus has already accomplished, what he's already done, we're then denying the sufficiency of his grace. Let's not do that any longer. Because if we do, then instead we attempt to utilize a religious self-effort method to do it ourselves. And he's saying, stop the do-it-yourself method. Allow me to work through your life. And I love what Bishop Jamie said this past Wednesday. If you didn't get to hear any of the Metamorphosis series, check it out on podcast. But one thing that really stuck with me is he said that, you know, as as the Holy Spirit starts to deal with us, he's not in a hurry. He doesn't do it all at one time because we couldn't handle that. He works slowly through our lives. So don't get down on yourself. Every time you do something that goes against the grain of who you are, you're going to feel it. You ever felt that, man, I messed up again. I didn't want to do that. Well, first of all, the answer to that isn't to grovel around and say, God, if you can somehow maybe please forgive me. You know, we get all these fearful ideas. Just be open and honest and say, God, I'm sorry. That's not who I am. And I thank you that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I thank you that I do have the power through you working through me to say no to that temptation. I thank you that you're showing me how good it is to have life with you, to have relationship with you. And then slowly but surely, you will see the behavior change. You'll start to see the fruit of the spirit. It's not even your fruit. It's his fruit. Isn't that crazy? For years I'm like, okay, love. All right, that's the list. Love's first. It must be the most important. Okay, love, 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 love. I'm going to love. Love, 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 love. I'm going to love. This isn't my fruit. It's his. So let him work the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control through you. He's already put good works in you so that you will walk them out. You will pursue and walk those things out. He did it. It's a setup. It's been rigged. He's done it all, and he's put it inside you. And he said, will you let me live my life through you? And you go, okay, this almost seems too good to be true. Is this good news? See how I use that? It's good news. It's called the gospel. It's his goodness for you. Amen? I want to look at one last scripture here as we bring this to a close. Hebrews chapter 10. You get something out of this? Hebrews chapter 10. Start with verse 1. The writer says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Verse two, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. I want us to see two things in here as we close. Number one, they would have stopped offering sacrifices. Now, if you're not familiar with the Jewish system, they would offer sacrifices continually, but every year they had this day of atonement, which would cover their sin. Now, it's interesting to me, this is a little side note, it's interesting to me that, that later on, between the psalmist and the prophets, they actually say, inspired by God, that God never required sacrifice. He required relationship. In like fact, At one point, he says, I despise your feasts, all the rituals you're doing all I ever wanted was your love. And what we see here in Hebrews, and I'm seeing more and more, is that it wasn't even so much that God has killed that animal to make me feel better about you. It made them feel better about themselves. When we go through life, you know, a lot of times we'll, okay, God, I just want to get this off my chest, and that's okay. In our conscience, we want to feel better. But then we come up with ideas that if I don't pray every time I sin, then for some reason I'm not forgiven anymore. You've been forgiven past, present, and future because that's a finished work. It's done. But here's what we get to do. We get to say, wow, that's not me. I'm sorry. I don't need some type of sacrifice. I don't have to be a sacrifice to make myself feel better or clear my conscience. But I'm telling you what, when I go to God and I'm honest with him and I'm open and say, I'm truly sorry, God. I know that's not how I'm built. That's not, no, that's not who I am. I need to see more truth in my life. Whenever you give in to those addictions and those sins, it's because you're not seeing the truth of who you are and who he is. Bottom line doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you someone who has to continually pursue the renewal of your mind, to see things clearly, because knowing the truth is what sets us free. But it says they would have stopped offering sacrifices. With the sins of the people completely, think about this, and permanently resolved, there would no longer be a need for sacrifices. Number two. It says, being permanently cleansed, the people would no longer have consciousness of sins. Did you catch that? No more focusing on sin. No more focusing on the thing that you did wrong, your misstep. Why? Because there'd be no longer any need to focus on something that has been permanently and perfectly put away. Why? Why? Jesus said it on the cross. It is finished. You see, the, the lie that we need to focus on overcoming our sin is so very dangerous because it takes our eyes off of Jesus Christ and puts them on our sins. And also this, I would say, this imaginary ability we think we have to solve the matter ourselves. Let's go back to Matthew walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Christianity isn't something we do alone to prove ourselves to God. It's something we do with Jesus by our side, in us. We watch him, he works with us. You see this? This is how we can overcome these issues in our life by seeing truth Now, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Andy, I mean, I'm hearing what you're saying, but it seems to me like you're minimizing sin, I ask you to consider this possibility. I'm not the one who is minimizing sin. Instead, the people or anyone who would teach or preach that we need to focus on overcoming our sins are the ones who are minimizing the sin. Because what we're saying, and this teaching suggests, is that sin is so weak that it can be overcome by religious self-discipline. But that's not true. The truth is only one person could effectively deal with your sins, and he did. And he did it perfectly and completely. And what's his name? Jesus. He's our life. He's our source. Amen. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? There's a hymn that was penned by Helen H. Lemmel. And then with your eyes closed, I want you to just hear these words. They're beautiful. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You see, Jesus Christ has defeated your sins. So let them go and focus on him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We we thank you that repentance has transpired, that we've changed our minds today on some things, that we're seeing things differently, and not just differently, but we're looking correctly through the magnifying glass and we see them clearly. Things are coming into focus. We realize where our focus should be. There's nothing else in this life so worthy of our gaze so effective in causing us to live our life the way that you, Heavenly Father, intend us to live than seeing you, Jesus. You are our strength. You are our ability. The power that we have to live this life comes through you pray for every person here this morning that would say, you know, pastor, I'm I'm dealing with some stuff in my life. I've got addiction. I've got things that keep pulling me the other way. I pray right now for truth to be revealed. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would go into those recesses of our soul where we believe lies about ourselves, we've we've let things fester and maybe bitterness creep up against others or even ourselves. I pray for healing in those areas of our soul right now in Jesus' name. You are the healer. You're the one who always restores. That's your life, a life of restoration for us because you love us. If you're here this morning, you say, you know, Pastor Andy, I've never made a decision to to really follow Jesus, and and it seems like this really cool thing. Like, I don't understand everything, but I love to find out what it means to walk according to Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to let him be my life. I'd like to know more about what this kingdom life looks like. The Holy Spirit's here today, and I believe he's prompting some of you, and it's really It's simple. It's just believing. Say, I believe this. I believe there's a better way to live life. Jesus was the example. Even on the cross, when we send every sin into him, murder, hatred, retribution, still with arms wide open said, I forgive you. Forgive them, Father. They don't even know what they're doing. That's what love does. And then through the resurrection, he says there's a new way to live. Peace be with you. If you want that peace today, if you want to follow Jesus, just simply raise your hand. I believe when I raise our hands, it's just an outward way of expressing what we're feeling in our soul. I thank you, Father, for every person today who said yes to Jesus. And for all those who already have said yes, we know that you now reside on in the inside of us. We are in Christ. Holy Spirit, you are our guide in life. You desire to lead us in the right direction. You're not a prankster, you don't punk us. You always lead us to the right place. I pray today, above anything, we would realize your love for us and through that, we would trust you, have faith that you have our best interest in mind. And when you say, go, when you say, do, when you say, stop, we say, okay, Lord. My obedience comes from the trust I have in you, knowing that you love me. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.